I'll just say this to you. I, I really, as I look back, and I've been in ministry for, for over 30 years, I don't know if I actually have given a Labor Day sermon which actually focuses kind of on Labor Day. And the rea- reality is, is that mission, the mission field is where you are. And, and that means that we are all missionaries. If you ever get a chance, if you don't have Right Now Media, come and talk to me or talk to the office and we will get you set up with Right Now Media. It is like the Netflix of of Christian material, teaching materials and stuff like that. And if you don't have one, then we will send you an invitation. It's something that we have through the church. Um, but there is one thing, a bunch of seminars that are on there. It's called Work as Worship. And when I was pastoring in, the, in another congregation, we did a couple of those seminars, which is called Work as Worship. And, and it, it celebrated the fact that God never, ever differentiated between the sacred and the secular when it came to work. That worship, you worship God, whether you have a job which is kind of in full-time ministry, and you utilize your work and efforts to worship God, or whether you're just in the regular secular workplace. So if you, if you are um, a person that works with furniture and you make chairs, then what you do is you do that to the best that you possibly can. And if you're a bus driver, you utilize that talent and ability that you have to worship the Lord. As it says in Colossians, whatever you do in word and deed, do so to the glory of God. And that's, we got this day to celebrate the aspect of Labor Day and the importance of that. If you, if you were to read in Ezekiel chapter 31, you'll hear of two individuals, um, Bezalel and Oholiab. And who were they? Well, when they were constructing the Ark of the Covenant and making furnishings for it, God said, hey, here are these two individuals. I have anointed them with skills to do this. They didn't do the worship, they didn't song lead, they didn't preach, they made things. And we need to realize that, that it's an important thing. How you act and your attitude towards work is, a, is an interesting thing. Sometimes we go through life thinking that we had to work, all of a sudden to come to the point that we realize that we got to work. Isn't that true? That it's something which God allows us to do. And so... As we are kind of continuing on in the theme of the Proverbs best, uh, uh, Proverbs greatest hits, and, and last week's sermon, I still got on the shelf. It's probably coming in a week or two, um, but I kind of had this focus because I wanted to talk about Labor Day and the importance of it. Um, Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, utilizes... Um, his diversity in, in talking. And some of the verses in Proverbs are huge ones, some of the most quoted scriptures uh, that we have. And, uh, you know, train up a child in the way she should, they should go, and, you, and they won't depart from it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on, on your understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. You know, a wife of noble character who can find. That's nowhere else in scripture. So there's some powerful scriptures. But also what he does is he reinforces by repetition sometimes some themes that are there. And as you read through the book of Proverbs time and time again, you realize, hey, didn't I just hear about that a couple pages ago or a couple chapters ago? Wasn't he talking about that before? And Solomon, one of the things that he did was he just kind of continually hit something like a nail hitting a hammer. And this is one of those particular uh, cases. And, and what I want to focus on today is what is called the value of prudence. 
And you're thinking, what exactly is prudence again? I kind of forget. It's one of those words that we kind of use and then we kind of talk about it like we know it, but we, we're not too sure exactly what it is. And other people will say this. Like, um, isn't that wisdom anyway? It's kind of, hey, what kind of wool are you trying to pull over our eyes here, Pastor Mike? You've kind of been talking about wisdom. You're just talking about wisdom again. You're just using a different word. No, not really. But is prudence and wisdom the same thing? Well, yes and no. You see, wisdom and prudence are two virtues of the intellect. Wisdom involves philosophies and principles that we have, that we live by based on life observation, lessons that we've learned, <laughs> times that we failed, as well as times that we've been triumphant, lessons that we have learned from other people. You can learn wisdom. And the best, sometimes the best wisdom you learn is when you see somebody else make the mistake. Amen? No? Some of the most hard-learned lessons are the ones that I had to go through it myself. And so God uses and utilizes all those things and we develop a philosophy and we develop the reasoning that comes from wisdom. And wisdom many times doesn't have to deal with what's happening at the moment or the individual or the locality. But prudence deals with all of that. Prudence is smart thinking now that affects your tomorrow. Someone said this, prudence is the capacity to exercise sound judgment in practical matters especially as it concerns one's own interests. For those of you who grew up with Aesop's fables, there is the story of the ant and the grasshopper. And the, the ant works, puts the things away. The grasshopper hops all over the field all day. And then when winter comes, the grasshopper's like, what's going on here? Whereas the ant is just nice and welcome and everything which is happening and going on. That is a, a story about prudence. And if you look at the book of Proverbs, there will be a word often there, which is called kokma. You know, if you go home for lunch and your mother asks you what to drink, you can say kokma. Okay, that's a terrible joke. That's how you remember it, though. It means wisdom. That's the regular word for wisdom. It's kind of the Hebrew term. But there is another term that you see jumping in and out through the book of Proverbs. It's, it's, it's called Amman, or sorry, Aram. And that's kind of where we get this word prudent. The other word for it is shrewd. Many times when Aram is used in scripture, it's kind of got a negative tone. Maybe for someone who has, who has alternative purposes which are not good. But in this particular case, it is used for that. It's, it's, it's a thing which is known as prudence. It's something which is a little bit different. It runs parallel with it, but doesn't necessarily always mean the same thing. And, and there are so many passages in the book of Proverbs that talk about prudence. Perhaps you notice it. Even if you're reading the King James or the New International Version, you'll hear this word, which is called prudent. And we have a few uh, verses of Scripture which, which talk about them. The, the first one is Proverbs 10, verse 5. and says, He who gathers crops in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. Those of us in the agricultural world will say amen to that. This is one that we kind of know. This is one that's right down our alley. How about Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16? Proverbs 12, verse 16 says something different. It basically says that fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent will overlook an insult. You see how it's kind of changed a little bit? Talking about something different. 
Proverbs 14, verse 8. We have Proverbs 14, verse 8 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. A prudent person will think things out. A fool doesn't. And they get caught by surprise or they use alternative methods. Let's go on to the next, uh, the next verse there. The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. The next passage of scripture says this. The prudent see danger and take refuge. But the simple keep going and pay the penalty. I think I found myself in that one every once in a while. Can't say that my whole life I have been prudent. I think I'm still learning this thing called prudence. This next one. A fool spurns a parent's discipline. But whoever heeds correction shows prudence. I'm giving that to all your parents who, you know, are having kids who are having difficulties with right now. You can kind of throw this one out to them, perhaps. It might help. Okay, one more I think there is. Yes. Whoever strays from the path of prudence comes to rest in the company of the dead. Whoa. And so you have to have this person who is prudent and they're kind of aware of everything that's going on. They kind of see what's, what's taking place. Where it talks about the other person, it usually uses the word fool or it'll use the word folly. And many times they talk about the fact that they're kind of late to the job. And then there's the, 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 the prudent person, he's industrious, whereas the, the other person is complacent and, and the one is diligent, making sure they've got all the details down. Well, the other one is caught by surprise. Many times in Proverbs, say, the, the person who's a fool gets hit across the head and that swing was coming a long distance away and they just never ever saw it. You know, the one is prepared, the one is caught by surprise, the one is patient, the other one is impulsive, the one is teachable, the other one's unteachable. The one is thoughtful, the other one is deceptive, looking for the shortcut. Hey, maybe you should get yourself together and do some of these things and, and, and maybe put some things away so they, that it will work for you. And they say, oh no, I'll just buy the lottery ticket and pray that God will give me the lottery and, and things should go well. And, and, and so they resort to get quick, get rich quick schemes. There we go. And one talks about thriving. The other one talks about dying. So let's talk about prudence. Because if you look closely, you will discover that you need prudence. You need it in your relationship with friends and family. You need it in your own life personally. If you're a business owner, you need it in your business. If you, if, if you have neighbors and if you are trying to achieve things in ministry, you need this thing which is called prudence. Whether it is personally, whether it is professionally, or whether it is spiritually, we need it. So why is that so important? Pastor Mike, don't waste my time talking about something that doesn't matter to me. Well, this does matter to you. Well, don't take too long. Just give me the gist and let me get going. You know, we don't want to have the Baptist beat us to Wendy's, right? Which isn't true, because we know the Baptists like A&W instead. And you might be sitting there saying, I like A&W. I didn't know I was Baptist. No, it's not the case. Why is this so important? Why is it? that the wisest man alive, again and again and again and again, hits this nail on the head. Why is that such a big deal? Well, if you look a little bit closer, it has to deal um, with the realization 
of the most important question. Why am I here? What's my purpose? What is, thy, what is my destiny? All those are tied into to pertinence. And, and I believe that to be biblically prudent alludes to three important things. And if I can give these things to you, if you can take these things home, if you allow the Holy Spirit to speak through these three things, I think that I'll have done what God wants me to do. When you talk about being prudent, I think one thing that talks about is to be alert, to have an active understanding of what is happening and to know what that means. You know, it's a good thing to understand what it means as well as the fact that you see it. You need to be alert. The Bible talks about the importance of being alert. A prudent person is having the ability to see, and, and you need to be alert of a number of things. You need to be alert to the voice of God. We need to be alert to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We need to be aware of the times when God is speaking to our heart. You also need to be alert to the fact that in this whole process, there is a struggle with the flesh inside of you. And sometimes we count on as spiritual, sometimes it's just selfishness by disguise. So we need to be alert to our own heart. And not only that, we need to be alert to the full picture and the fact that there is an enemy that wants to steal and to kill and to destroy. So if you, if you want to try and figure the whole thing out, basically to be prudent needs, means to me you need to be alert to the voice of God, to the variations of your heart, and to the vices of the enemy to understand our circumstance and what is going on. And this is talked about all the way through the Bible, not just Proverbs. You know, Peter says, he says in, in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, he says, be sober, be vigilant, because the devil is going around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's there in, in, in black and white. Ephesians basically says this, redeeming the time. If you read the New International, it says, make the most of every opportunity. Be aware, be awake. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11. Paul says this about a situation that was going on in the church. He says, you know, listen, we need to be aware of what the devil is doing because we are not unaware of his devices. Hey, be aware. Be awake to the fact that Satan is trying to do something. Jesus even says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 41, he goes and he talks to the disciples and he says, you need to watch and pray. He doesn't say, hey, you need to pray. He says, you need to watch and pray. You need to be aware of the situation as you pray. And many times when you pray, God allows you the opportunity to see, which is why prayer is such an important part of a Christian's life. And so this is an important thing. And Solomon, through the book of Proverbs, and Solomon working uh, as an instrument of the Holy Spirit says, you know what? It's an important thing for Christians Believers in Christ, to be vigilant, to be awake, to be aware. And this is in, it's incredibly important as, as we come up to a defining moment in our history where there's an election which is coming up in a couple of weeks. And it's important for the church to be aware, to be awake, to be alert to what's going on because it's not just one person against another or one group against another because there are unborn babies that are at stake and there are people in, in, in emergency wards with medical-assisted suicide or medical-assisted death which are, is there in philosophies which will threaten our freedom. 
These are all important things as we take a look at what is going on. Which is why as a church, one of the things that we're working towards is the thing called a citizen action group. And uh, as Kristen and I were talking and she was sharing her heart, she says, you know, this would be a great thing to have as a church. To have a group that is able to take a look at the issues and present them and allow us as a church to be able to be aware of what is happening within our government. Because if you're uninformed, you're unaware. And you say, well, how do I get part of this group? This interests me. Well, um, we'll start the conversation with Kristen, but uh, we want to start it as well with those prayer meetings as well. That's why those prayer meetings are so important, because I think that God is birthing something to help us as a, a congregation. It's important to be alert. It's important to be awake. Fathers, it's important to be awake. It's important to be alert because God has made you the head of your household. It's important for you to understand what's happening, what's going on, what's taking place. I had an opportunity this week to sit out with my wife in the back. We had this little propane fire that we had running. And, and as we were talking, we see these deer because there's just kind of like brush behind us, behind our house. We see these deer and, and we see this um, um, mother deer with two little baby deers. And it's such a nice little thing to watch as you're kind of sitting there and trying to be quiet. And, and the two baby deer, they didn't even realize that we were there. But mom, mama dear, she knew we were there. Mama dear had her eyes on us the whole time. And if I were to get up, they would have been gone in a second. And I thought to myself, there's a principle to that, isn't there? Sometimes we need to be awake, not just for ourselves. Sometimes we need to be awake for the sake of our children. To be prudent, to be awake, to be aware, to be vigilant. I think also as well, prudence also is the thing which causes us to want to be successful. Success is an important thing, the desire to go ahead. And, and I, I always thought it wasn't a good thing to desire success or to want to be successful. I often hesitated to pray for success because I always kind of felt to myself that it was kind of a, a self-motivating prayer. That there was a selfish agenda to that whole process. But then I began to say to myself, well, what if I took that self-agenda out? What about the prayer for success where there is no self-agenda? Well, if there's a prayer for success where there's no self-agenda, then basically the focus is not on me. The focus is on God. Because think about it, God has put in all of us an ambition to move ahead, to be productive. I have not seen in any yearbook, or I've never heard anybody say, I just want to be failure. I want to go through life, I want to accomplish nothing, I want to produce nothing, I just kind of want to breathe. No! You never hear that from anyone, even the most the lethargical person that you will meet in your life will want to somehow accomplish something. Why is that? Because I believe that it is birthed in the DNA of us being created in the image of God. You're created in the image of a loving God who is a creative God, who is a productive God. And that stays with us. That is part of our, our DNA. It's an important thing. And it's the definition of success that often gets confused. 
the question you have to ask yourself when you're talking about being successful is what is my definition of success? What is the focus of my success? If you want a really good example of success and the whole idea of success, go to John 3. John 3, where it says, for God so loved the world, you know, the one popular, the big Kahuna chapter of John. And it talks about Jesus talking to this fellow named Nicodemus. You, you must be born again, and, and for God so loved the world. And he talks about light coming into the world. And then there's kind of this space. And the scene shifts to John the Baptist, and it talks about his disciples. And in that time, John makes some really important statements. He basically says this. He says that a man can only receive what is given to him from God. And then he says this, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. And then he finishes off by saying, he must increase, I must decrease. Well, what was he talking about? Well, the whole crux of that story was this. The disciples of John were saying, hey, do you realize that they're all going to that Jesus guy now? They're not really coming to us anymore. It was a conversation on success. And the disciples were thinking, we need to do something to be more successful, to draw people back to our neck of the Jordan River to get baptizing. We're not baptizing as many people. I don't know whether there was a quota that they had. I'm not too sure. What they were thinking, though, was we used to be the top dog. Now we're not. And that's where Jane, or sorry, John begins to say these things. You're only given what God gives you. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. And I must decrease. He must increase. He's talking about success. It's about God. You're saying I'm not successful? Actually, I am successful. We are successful. Because we did exactly what God wanted us to do. You see, there's two worldviews that happens when we start talking about success. There's the one view where the, ver where the world and everything kind of revolves around us. And we want to be able to achieve these things based on the world revolving around us. And then there's another one that says that, well, that's not necessarily true, that there is a God and, and, and me and everything else revolves around his purpose. And sometimes Christians get mad because they try and take God from that world and put him in this world. And say, God, I thought you said you wanted to be successful. I wanted this new car. I wanted these new things. I wanted this new career. And you're not, you're not coming through, God, with my success. But God is basically saying, well, you need to come to my world first. You see the difference? And I have found this. That when we surrender everything to Jesus and we make it all about his world, if we make the fact that everything we want to do is about God, then God takes care of some of the things that we want on a personal level. It's like seek first kingdom of God, and then it says what? All these other things are going to be added to you. So God, don't let success be about the size of my banking account. Don't let it be about the size of my office. Don't let it be about the size or the number of people on my social media. God, let me be effective and successful in reaching my neighbor. Let me be successful at being the best person you want me to be for you, God. Let me be successful at raising kids who love Jesus with all of their heart, who will raise kids who will love Jesus with all of their heart, who will raise kids who love Jesus 
with all of their heart. That's success. And prudence says this, God, give me some clarity so that I can take that route. Amen. This is good stuff. No? There's a final one. Um, Prudence um, means this. It talks about eternity. I'll say eternity, but to be soul prudent. Because it says in Hebrews, it's appointed for man once to die, and then the judgment. And the greatest tragedy that we will have, and that we will face, and that we will see, is that there are people who are prudent in a physical sense, but are not prudent in a spiritual sense. And I'll just tell you this, you're better off to live like a fool and be spiritual prudent than the other way around. Obviously, we want to have both. But it's better off, your, your end is better than if you have all the things physically to be prudent about. If you do the work well, you work hard, you have a great issue, you treat people well, you do all these things, and you accomplish so much, than to accomplish all that and lose your very soul. So Jesus says, In in the book of Mark, he says, what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? He says in in Luke chapter 12, I believe it is, he says, there's this guy, he's really successful, and he gets to the point where he says, we're going to break down our old barns, we're going to build up new barns, and life was good. He's prudent doing all the right things. And then he makes a statement. It's a popular one in Scripture. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And God says this, you fool. Didn't you realize that today is your last day? And while you got the big barns, and while you got the successful business, you're lost for eternity. It's important, most of all, to be spiritually prudent, to be soul prudent. Um, and that's why Jesus says, work to make your calling and election sure. That's why, why uh, Paul says in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, you know, examine to see whether you're in the faith. Be spiritually prudent. Remember these things because it's important. And there was a quote that happened a number of years ago. I was trying to dig it up to find out who had actually said it. wasn't able to find it. But the story went like this. There was a guy who was a well-known atheist, had achieved a number of things in life, and had come to a point where he was sick and was about to die. And he had a Christian friend who went and sat down beside him and said, hey, don't you think it would be a good idea to surrender everything to Jesus? While you have an opportunity, you know that the end is near. And the quote that he said was this. Listen, my friend. One world at a time. And that became kind of a catchphrase for those people who are in the atheist world. One world at a time. The problem is, that's the stupidest thing you could possibly say. Isn't it? Because the one world does connect to the other. And the tragedy of that is that people may not say that statement, but they will live that statement. They'll say, I just want to be a good person, eventually make it into heaven. You know, if I do more good than bad, then I'm going to get it into heaven. But all of their resources 
Everything that they do, the attitudes that they have, everything that they focus on is on this life. And they worry about the other life afterwards. And if I could go a step further, there are many Christians who sit in our pews, people we fellowship with, who have said a prayer to ask Jesus into their heart. But all of their efforts and all of their goals and all of their abilities are to focus on things that will end the second that they die. That the nest that they build is for the future that they have and maybe for their children and, and anything like that. But ultimately, we just live our lives as though there is no heaven. Yeah, we said a prayer. Um, we've got the lingo down. We've got the Christian language down. We will, we will go to church uh, on occasion and we will do these things. But what happens is we become a practical atheist. Oh, what do you mean? I'm not an atheist. Well, if you've given your heart to Jesus and you've said a prayer, but all of your goals and all of your ambitions don't include God, and all of your giving is to pad your own nest, and the idea is to serve God when it's convenient to you, and that you come when you just think it might be good for you, then you may not say that you are an atheist, but you're living your life as though God doesn't exist. And what has to happen is that there needs to be a thing which is called spiritual prudence. The most important one. You can be, you can be successful. You can, you can be aware and lose your soul. Is it possible to love Jesus and not be spiritually prudent? Is that possible? So that's a challenge to us. That's why, that's why Solomon says this, and the irony of this all was that Solomon, who wrote the book, the Bible tells us, let his life and his soul be led away by his many wives. And that basically tells us that if it can happen to the wisest guy in the world, it can happen to us. I came across, um, I'll end with this story. I came across a story. Um, it was in Forbes magazine and talked about Best Buy. Who does not know about Best Buy? Okay. Whew. Best Buy is, you see a Best Buy in every town. There's a Best Buy in our town. I can, I can walk to a Best Buy. It's so close to my house. And they talked about the fact that in 2012, Best Buy was about to go belly up. What had happened was the CEO uh, was found having an affair with one of the employees and had to resign. Um, and then what had happened was it had become old and it had, it had kind of run, run itself into a routine and, uh, and the engagement was all time low and, and, and the workers were leaving because they didn't want to really work there and the place was bleeding money. And, and what happened was they found out that customers were coming in to Best Buy to try out the technology, see how good it was, and they would go home and they would order it from Amazon. So basically, Best Buy was just a stop to figure out, is this good or this not good? Okay, I don't know. Let's go home and let's order it so that they deliver it to our house. And so they're about to die. They were living a slow motion death. Well, what happened to Best Buy? They're still around. Well, there was a guy whose name was Hubert Jolly. 
and they asked him to become the CEO. And so this is what he did. He put on a, a, a Best Buy outfit, and he had a big sign on his shirt that said CEO in training. And he went into the stores. He began to talk to the people. Instead of taking an approach which said, let's just cut things. Let's cut costs. We can't do that. Let's cut costs. What he realized is this. People need Best Buy. People need to be able to see the technology. Not only that, they need the expertise from people who are looking so they know one product to buy over the other. And, and we also need Best Buy because the people who produce the products need a place so that people can see the product. And so he changed the mentality of saying, we need a Best Buy. The world needs Best Buy. And so he took a humble approach. And he sat down amongst the people and he realized that there were programs that no longer were running that were really good and he started them and there were systems that were in place. And he said, we need to start training these, these employees and need to be placing value in, in people and purpose rather than trying to think about cutting the costs. And, and so he began to work with the people and then within five years, it, the stock for Best Buy went up 263%. And 72% of the, the laborers that worked for Best Buy said, I would recommend to a friend to work here. And the approval rate for Hubert Jolly was 92% in the company. And so there's this huge turnaround that you'll kind of hear about the turnaround, what happened. And that's kind of what it was all about. I began to ask myself questions. Could it be that we're a lot like Best Buy? Could it be that a number of us who are post-tired from COVID and kind of floundering our way over the last couple of months have been living a slow-motion death? And that the the prudence that was shown with Best Buy somehow needs to come where we begin to realize that there is a purpose for our life, that God is not through with us yet. It's about him moving, that God, I need to rise up, that I have been living in this lethargic area and I could blame it on this or that, but ultimately at the end of the day, God, what I want is to be prudent. I want to be aware. I want to be successful. I want to be spiritually in shape, not just for myself, but for the sake of my kids and, and all of that. So God, I humbly come to you and I say, God, turn things around. Is that you? Are you sitting here this morning and praying that prayer? God, turn things around. Lord, I just pray. Um, that you will minister in a powerful way. I pray, Father, first of all, for those people who need to wake up, for those people who just need to be aware, to be sober, to be vigilant, Father, as your word says, that, God, you will allow there be a, to be a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and a sensitivity to the work of the enemy, and that, God, we will go forth with you. Also, Father, for those people who just kind of lost their purpose and, and, and maybe they're, they have a, a prudence, but it's misdirected or it's incomplete and, and we're, we're, we're focusing on other things, other than things that God is. And we want to be successful, but we got to be God successful. We can't be self-successful. God's called us to be successful in his realm, in his universe, and all those other things will be added to him. So God, 
we just change our focus from our own world to your world. Asking God that you'll do some deep work in our hearts and our lives because we want to get forward. We want to be prudent God-wise. We want to see the Spirit of God move. And Lord, for those people of us who are here who have been living our lives and we've been putting the money away and we've been doing all these things so that we could die well, not considering the fact that there's an eternity that God has called us to and that the complete joy that we have is when we, we give it all for the next life so that God can move in this life in our lives. And Father, if the Spirit of God has just tweaked that in our lives, I pray, God, that you will move. I pray, God, that you will do some great things in our lives. But that's a spiritual work. It doesn't happen with a sermon. It happens with the Spirit of God unctionizing his word and planting it in our lives. So God, be with absolutely everyone here, everyone that I love, a church that I love, a church where I desire to see the Spirit of God move in a powerful way. God, move through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to hand things over. Those of you who are online, thanks for joining us. Uh, we appreciate uh, you showing up online. But hey, we want to see you in person as well. You're welcome in that. God bless you. We're going to hand things over to Glenn. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.